0: Welcome to the first episode of the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people and the great outdoors. My name is Jonathan Ellsworth, and I'm the founder and editor of Blister. You can check us out at blisterreview.com, where we publish in-depth and totally honest reviews of outdoor sports equipment, including products in the realm of skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, backpacking, climbing, and boating. The Blister Podcast has been in the works for quite a while now, and we're excited to get it going. Our plan is to drop a new podcast weekly, and we've already got a great lineup of guests. We're going to be talking to top-level skiers, climbers, mountain bikers, product developers, some of our own Blister reviewers, and basically anyone we feel like talking to about whatever we feel like talking about. To kick off our first episode, I recently had a conversation with one of our favorite people in the world of skiing, Jed Geiser. Jed is the head ski designer for Line Skis and a senior designer for K2 Skis. In this conversation, Jed and I cover a lot of ground, from ski design and the whole light is right movement, to working with living legends like Eric Pollard and Tom Wallish. We also discuss two of the most high-profile new skis of this season, the Line Sir Francis Bacon and the Line Mordecai, and there are a few great stories in here about the founder of Line, Jason Leventhal. Jed and I also cover the rise of electric bikes, movie director Wes Anderson's surprisingly significant influence on the ski industry, and much more. But before we get to Jed, we want to mention that this episode of the Blister podcast is presented by Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines has kicked off the ski season with the return of seasonal flights between Seattle and Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and starting today there are flights to Sun Valley from Seattle and LAX. Speaking of LAX, Alaska also just yesterday introduced new seasonal flights from LAX to Crested Butte. Even better, when you fly Alaska Airlines to places like Alieska Resort, Big Sky, or Crested Butte, present your boarding pass and you get to ski for free. Each resort is a little different, so be sure to see specific terms and conditions at alaskaair.com forward slash ski. Sitting here on this Friday afternoon uh, with Jed Yeiser, ski designer for K2 and Line Skis. Uh, We are here actually in Seattle. it's raining outside. It's awfully, you know, it's awfully stereotypical. But, Welcome uh, to
1: Seattle. Yeah. It
0: is raining outside. Um, we're here at um, uh, K Two Sports headquarters, um, and we're talking to Jed Yiser, who we've uh, done a twenty questions with uh, previously on the site. Jed is actually a a, a winner of what did we call that award like our favorite person to talk uh, yeah, to best at S- person
1: to talk to at sia actually. yeah yeah something
0: like that um it's a prestigious award i mean it's it's up there with the pulitzer i, I think it's right behind my desk yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah but, uh, favorite person we talked to at sia I, did you win it twice or were you just a i won- was i was a co-winner with andy you were a co-winner yeah Yeah. um and you're the only well i guess it's only a co-win but you've won the award like 1.5 times i've won the award 1.5 times so no that's a you know that's a record you hold this that's a blister record yeah so okay with that you're you know props i mean yes yeah um uh so anyway but we're talking with jed again because we like to talk to jed about um, skis and ski designs and um and jed uh, likes talking about skis jed ski likes um yeah and we're also drinking some some good beers <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and uh yeah as you hear me uh, sorry yeah i got to keep on interrupting you but. no yes yeah, stop interrupting this is <laughs> this is not how you became our first our favorite person uh, to true. talk to uh, yeah
1: okay
0: I think we may have talked about this a little bit in the 20 questions piece a while ago, but maybe a quick
1: bit on your background. Yeah, um, I grew up in Vermont um, ski racing. Um, I actually wanted to snowboard for a while until I sort of started to ski race and realized that um, racing was, was a lot of fun. Um, and ski raced sort of through, through college. I skied for, for Middlebury, skied for an NCAA D1 team. Um, and really, sort of my, my formative years as a skier were, were racing, mm-hmm. um, and it, it took me to a lot of pretty incredible places, um, literally and, and figuratively. And also, I mean, I guess if we're gonna talk about ski design, um, sort of knew that I wanted to build my own skis from day one. Um, I never really knew that I was going to be able to do it professionally, but, you know, a, a 10-year-old Jed Yeiser would have looked at you and said, yes, I'm going to build my own skis, hmm. and spent a lot of time talking to, um, you know, my race reps and race techs about what goes into ski design, and I think irritated every single one of them uh, with, with all of my badgering. <laughs> um, and then, sort of, has, I think I was a sophomore in, in college, when I sort of decided that my ability to to really start analyzing skis and and also my abilities as a quote unquote craftsman had gotten to the point that that I could actually take a fair swing at, at building skis and um, for the next sort of four years spent vacations back home in my barn in Vermont um, turning it into I don't want to say a ski factory but um, basically turning it into a space where I would be able to build skis, you know, from welding up a three-quarter ton press to, to building a number of different jigs to shape my cores and sidewalls and um, basically got to the point where I was just about ready to mold skis. Um, you know, I had my cores profiled, I had my bases assembled when I got the job here in Seattle and uh, and yeah, every time I go home I've got that ski press and those cores just sort of standing there waiting for me to do something
0: historical question about line skis go ahead i don't know what's the weirdest strangest slash makes no sense that this was ever a line ski Oh man, I'm I'm the wrong person to ask that
1: question. I have I have a I'm, I'm willing to throw out an, a possible answer. I mean, this was before my time. Um, I'd probably say the weirdest ski that is a line ski or the weirdest ski that line produced because those are two not different not,
0: things. The, not the not doesn't have to be the wackiest design. I'm just saying, like, like the one that didn't fit yes. lines
1: brand. Yes, I would say the mothership. Exactly, that's the right answer. Um, and I love that ski. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love that ski. Like, I get now that
0: you're the guy designing line skis. Yeah. I get, like, if the mothership came out now, yeah, that would make more sense to me. I don't know how the mothership ever got to be like that I, that's an honest question well, I, I think
1: I think it the the first version and this is all before my time so I'm sure there are some line his, like history aficionados that are going to listen to this and just lose their shit and, and I hope that Jay isn't one of them but he might be.
0: I'll t- um, We're going to talk to Jay on okay. this, and so we'll, we'll. I'll definitely ask him about the mothership. But yes, yeah. I'm glad you got the answer correct. <laughs> but yeah, what do you? What's Mo- your understanding? Well,
1: my understanding is that the first version of the mothership was a ski that Eric developed. The Pollard, first, the first, and I took <laughs> way off here. N- not the mothership you're thinking of, but okay. the first ski called a mothership, I believe, was a ski that Pollard developed. Hmm and then the second version, the one with the veneer top sheet and a lot of tetanol, I, I believe Francois developed to be a more hard charging, big mountain, wide, aggressive ski. And they sort awesome. of took the name from Eric's ski. I could be way, hmm. way off there. Francois. Um, I raised my glass to you, Francois. That was, it's, it's a great ski. <coughs> it's a really great ski. Hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's getting back to Jay and skis like that. I'm I'm very curious to ski, Jay's new ski, the Metal. Yep. Um, yep. Because I I think I don't think I, I know that it took a lot of design cues from the Mothership. Hmm. Same guy designed it. There are a lot of similarities huh. as far as flex profile from what I've seen from hmm. from overall shape. Um, I mean that Mothership was a handful. Didn't it come in a
0: 195? It did. See, I feel like... You know how there's like talk of the greatest generation? Yeah. I feel like we're just... You know, like, the greatest generation. These were people who were just, you know, happily skiing the 195 mothership. What are we doing now? You know? I like, mean, we're... I just think... This is... We're, there's a... There's the... I skied on that 195 mothership. That see? was a lot of ski. There's a lot of ski. It was a lot of ski. I, I just think we're clearly getting soft people. I mean... There's We're not a lot that I
1: could do on that 195 mothership that I couldn't do on, like, a 186, now Supernatural 115. Okay. Um, you know, very, very different skis. Yeah. The mothership is way stiffer yep. than than the, the 115 is, um, but, you know, or even a 192 115, that that for me... You know, I, I come from a racing background. I'd argue I have very strong technique and a pretty good skier. Um, that mothership was overkill for a lot of things, yep. um, and that because it was so stiff and so aggressive, it really didn't allow me to do some things and ski in a certain way when I wasn't trying to just destroy shit. Whereas a ski like the the 115, I can still straight line stuff and I can still be stupid on it, but it it has a low end and and an element of sort of playfulness and forgiveness that that big stiff plank didn't have. And, um, you know, if people don't want to do anything but just mock through chopped up snow, yeah, ski like that old mothership is going to be the right ski, but I think Especially if you're a good skier, you can go to a ski that's got a little bit broader spectrum and really not give up anything or a whole lot and and be able to spend more time enjoying it in a wider variety of conditions and skiing in slightly different ways. Hmm. Uh,
0: So you admit that we are no longer the greatest generation is basically what I heard you say. You never hear me. Well,
1: if if that's what you heard me say, (laughs) fine. Um, You know... (laughs) I want to
0: talk about an issue that we've talked a little bit about in the past. And I feel like I never stop talking about it on Blister as we're evaluating skis. But um, I think most skiers are pretty aware that there is a major push right now on the whole AT thing and Mm -hmm. the side country thing. And that sort of makes sense, but, like, that's the moment. And so, as a result, um, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a lot of emphasis on touring boots, touring bindings, touring skis. And that seems to be, and again, a huge, huge factor is weight. Yeah. It seems to me that we're seeing that then push into... Not just touring setups, but that's really the the weight consciousness thing is pushing into the alpine side of things, and you know, I think, as I'm talking to product managers from different companies or whatever and evaluating some of this stuff, you know I, I feel like i I find myself saying in a number of my reviews, like, listen, you know weight is not always a bad thing, and there is a place for it. Um, and you give, you know, effectively we're at a point where a heavier ski, all other things being equal, is going to almost certainly be more stable and better in shop and crud. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we're seeing, I mean, the the companies are saying that they're seeing this as a pressure that consumers are putting on them, that if the thing isn't super light, it's not going to sell. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a second, like for bashing around in crap snow conditions, I'm pretty into heavier boots and heavier bindings and heavier skis. Heavier skis. Yeah. So that's got, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm curious about that. And frankly, I'm worried about it. Yeah. Um, because if, if companies feel like, if this really is the case, where customers are walking in, they're going to a wall, if they're picking up the thing that feels feather light yeah you know and that like ooh, it's so light i think a lot of the equipment that i personally really like is probably about to die and actually a lot of it is dying and on the flip side like this emphasis on weight is just going to again it's going to let us do certain things really well and we're going to lose a whole side of um A kind of performance spectrum so I guess as a designer here as you're getting an earful from marketing people as you're hearing from reviewers as you're hearing from customers I'm curious your sense on that um, this kind of weight consciousness thing or the kind of AT and AT mentality lighter is writer as that bleeds across everything you're doing or maybe it doesn't bleed across everything
1: you're doing I mean the weight of a ski I think is way more of a I don't want to say of an issue but it's it's more at the forefront of our minds and the forefront of sort of product descriptions than it's ever been before but um, you know you just use lighter is not writer and I think that's that's a philosophy that that you know I as a designer and we as a ski company are definitely aware of that being said there's no denying that customers right now want a lightweight ski. I would argue that a lot of customers don't necessarily know what that does, mm-hmm. but you know, the weight of a ski is is a very easy metric to evaluate. Mm-hmm. And um if you look at things that are, are going on in, in other arenas of the outdoor industry, you know, bikes being a great example, the focus is on the lightweight, and yep. lightweight is better. And that's definitely translated into to the ski market a little bit, um, you know, to the point where I was in a ski shop last year and was talking to somebody and, and talking about weight. And they basically chose, you know, one ski over another ski because it was lighter, and I asked why, and they said it's easier to carry to and from the parking lot. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one end of the spectrum. And I think for high-end, I mean, you, met, you mentioned sort of busting through crud, really sort of aggressive, powerful skis, you're not going to see weight going away. You're not going to see all of a sudden super light skis there just because the physics doesn't work out. Um, I do think there are some solutions to making skis a little bit lighter and easier that that are pretty clever and have worked out well. I think what what K2, what we're doing with K2 with sort of the pinnacle or not with the pinnacle and conic technology is a really I think clever and innovative solution to lightweight where we've taken a little bit of weight out but really reduced the swing weight. And it's the swing weight that makes the biggest difference for how easy a ski is to rotate and to get around and that's really where you're going to notice the biggest difference. And we've kept a lot of the weight over the parts of the ski that, that really affect skiing performance. You know, it's, it's not as light or as damp as a much heavier ski will be. It doesn't have that same mass damping element, but it, it keeps a lot of the weight and the power where it needs to be. And I think you're going to see more solutions like that, where it's not full-on, we're building the lightest ski we can, but we're going to take weight out where we can to try and preserve performance with getting some of the performance benefits of a lighter weight or a lower rotational mass. Um, you know, it's the fact that a heavier ski is going to bust through crud, that's not going to change. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, we're just taking a long, hard look at the market and who's buying skis and what they're looking for and trying to make the, the best design decisions we can to meet their needs. Um, you know, on a number of projects that we've undertaken in the past few years, we've built skis as light as we, we can, and those are not skis that we are producing, and those are not skis that we're selling, mm-hmm. because we really weren't satisfied with their performance. And I think, you know, both on the line and K2 side, um, there have been a number of times where we've started talking about weight, and we've skied really lightweight skis and had to back up and say, okay, we want this to be as light as possible if the the downhill and skiing performance is where we need it to, and and we are not willing to compromise the way the ski needs to perform to go lightweight. If we can achieve both, great. Um and, and we'll see how that works out. You know, there are there are lighter skis than than the, the K2 touring line and, and the line tourist, for sure. Um, I'm very, very happy with how those skis ski. Yeah. Um, would I ski our touring skis as an all day, every day ripper to go bust through crud? Probably not, you know? I, they're they're mm-hmm. very good at, at skiing through variable conditions, mm-hmm. but you do run into situations where it's, at the end of the day, it's a light ski. So, yeah, speaking
0: you know where you just got done saying that you guys have built skis and kind of brought it to the taken it to the edge on the light side, and then decided yeah. we're going to back off of that we're not there are performance characteristics or something that we we don't like when we've gone to the brink of as light as we can go. yeah I think two obvious and pretty high profile examples of that are the new the new bacon and the new Mordecai for yeah. this season and. You know, I think that was one I I mean, I remember actually at SIA when I last year in the end of January when I I first saw those skis. Yeah. And I sort of personally found those to be coming from my point of view as someone who just admitted like I like weight. Yeah. uh, You know, in, in for certain applications, those skis felt sort of terrifyingly light to me. And we, you know, we talked about it, but that was a big push for line. You know, we're going to come out with these super light things. And those are examples where you guys did ultimately decide we're going to
1: pull this back. Um, Yeah. And... But, I mean, pulling it back had a lot more to do with some durability concerns that Mm -hmm. we had with those skis. Um, And, you know, those skis were developed with a lightweight core. We could have gone much lighter than we did on those skis, and, and with that lightweight core, we were very happy with the performance. It yep. was what we wanted it to be, and, you know, I, I doubt you'd argue with me here, those skis were not designed for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? Of course. It's
1: the market yep. that we were going for, and, and the skis that, that Eric wanted to make, was light and playful and lively, and, and if, especially if you're looking for playful and lively, taking weight out of a ski really helps a ski mm-hmm. be playful and lively. Um, and and on both the Bacon and the Mordecai, we were really really happy with the performance, on snow performance of of those light skis. Um, it's sort of the the further we got with with those lightweight constructions, we realized that especially with the Bacon and and, and to some extent the Mordecai, that those super lightweight constructions just really weren't appropriate for. Um, especially the bacon that was going to be yep. used in the park um, yep. and that, that we needed to, to add a little bit of weight back in for durability, but the, the weight that I added back in was was I, I, I guess I still really tried to keep the skis as light as, as I could with, with that durability. Um, so you know we, we thickened up the base and the steel, we swapped the core out and we added an extra layer of glass mm-hmm. um, Yeah. But it's still, I mean, it's a lightweight core still. It's not the same lightweight core, but it's, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I was talking, I was focused more on a performance part. You're right to say, like, my personal bias would be to, you know, roll on that heavier side of things. But but then just, so if if the performance was there, I mean, of course, if the durability isn't there, then I don't know how anybody argues against pulling it back to shore that up. I yeah. mean that just
1: that's just called I mean, we need to being responsible or something. Well, yeah. So. It's I mean, we can't Eric never broke one of the skis in those constructions. We've never broken one of those skis yep. in those constructions, but we got some of those lightweight skis out to to a broader audience and, and some of them were were having some issues and, and we dealt with those issues. Um you know it's you won't see me putting a super lightweight construction on the supernatural one hundred and eight. Yep. Um. Because I think the reason that, that one of the reasons the ski skis the way it does is because it does have a lot of mass. Yep. You know I think. You know a, a project that I've wanted to do for myself is making a super lightweight supernatural one hundred and eight for touring on. Hmm. You know, days that I don't yep. necessarily want the really heavy, aggressive, damp feel, yep. but there's a lot about the side cut yep. rocker profile about, of that ski that I really like that I think would be really great in a touring setup when I don't need the, the ability to sort of bust through crud that mm-hmm. that, that heavier ski provides. Yep. Um, I've yet to make it, but hopefully one of these days I'll have some time.
0: Well, and that's interesting too, because we've. You know, we've talked a little bit about, and I certainly think it's true, that in a ski that is more of that Supernatural 108, which is a ski that we're big fans of. I mean, we we talk about it a lot. I think it, you can go read, I think, three reviews on Blister yeah. about that ski. Um, and, you know, again, thinking about sort of the concept of suspension, yeah. that that's part of what <clears throat> I like in these heavier directional skis is you know i want to still have fun skiing hard and fast two to three weeks after a storm so you got two options you know if you're going to have suspension in the ski mass is mass in a ski is one way to accomplish that so you can go ski crap conditions and you're still going to have a good time and can push that ski hard but what you're talking about a touring version of the supernatural 108 If we're willing to grant that the backcountry conditions you may be going to tour in are better conditions, softer conditions, you're going to get your suspension out of the snow. As opposed to the ski. As opposed to the ski, well, then that still totally makes sense. And that's, to me, that's why going lighter on touring skis does make sense. Uh, On the assumption that you're going into, moving into, quote unquote better or softer
1: snow conditions. Yeah and I think it's also you know what you're looking for out of a tour and out of a touring ski. You know a lot of times if you know even if the conditions were pretty chopped up or maybe not chopped up because you're not in a high traffic area but if there was like a big sun crust with Mm -hmm. some pretty aggressive manky snow you're really touring to be out in the mountains. You're not out there to charge and, and to be aggressive and and because of that you're willing to have a ski that's that's maybe a little bit lighter or not as strong in those conditions because it's two to three hundred grams lighter per ski and it's way easier to use in the backcountry yeah um you know i know i've talked to you about this a little bit but for me personally when i'm i'm skiing in the backcountry i i always probably take it back a notch or two versus how i'd ski inbounds Mm -hmm. if for no other reason that i'm 10, 12 miles from the nearest road, or you know, if something happens, it's it's all of a sudden a huge problem. Which is not to say I don't do stupid things in the backcountry. <laughs> we all do, but um, personally, the way I ski in the backcountry is a little bit different than the way I ski inbounds, and and I choose skis and I choose gear that yep. matches the way I ski in the backcountry yep. because of that. Yeah
0: yeah agreed and i i think maybe some of if if there's a frustration for me is that one on some of the copy right it you know is that it seems like the common uh, we just see this across the board and everybody every ski company is kind of telling this story right we're going lighter and lighter and it's no compromise and on the one hand like there you just really do have to have that kind of filter where it's like, okay, well, that's just simply not true. And I do worry a little bit that, I mean, maybe I shouldn't worry. I mean, maybe no one cares about that that heavier product that works really well in yeah. skiing, you know, shit conditions um, and makes those conditions fun if nobody cares, then then I'll I'll be I think like people
1: care, but I think it's a pretty strong. I didn't mean to cut you off. No. but I, I think it's a an increasingly small segment of the market that that is looking for basically a, a Craigbuster, buster, you know, that a ski that excels in bad conditions. Um, but that's crazy, right? Like I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I want that ski, and and there there are always going to be people that want those skis. I just think if you look at, you know, and, and some of the conversations that we've had before this interview or whatever you want to call it, I've sort of gotten this. Man, this is a this. podcast. This is a podcast. Okay. Um, before the podcast. Yeah. Like if you look at the meat in the market, if you look at the the height of the bell curve, there are people that are not skiing more than seven days a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people that are probably spending more time on piste on groomed snow than they'd like to admit. and. And in those sorts of conditions, a lighter ski is okay. I mean, mm-hmm. Maybe not better, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. And and a lighter ski does do some things. Like it makes initiating a turn a little bit easier, yep. especially if you're sliding a turn around. Um, it's way easier to carry your skis to and from the car. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a little bit, I mean, I, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, and I wish I were kidding, but there are people that have said that. Yep. Um, and, and you get a little bit less tired because there's there's less effort in initiating a slighted turn. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at sort of the guys that are skiing 60, 70, 80 days a year and are out there skiing aggressively in cruddy conditions, they're always going to want, I believe, a, a heavier, more aggressive ski. But they're a smaller part of the market. So no, I don't think the, the heavy crud-busting skis are going anywhere. Um, I just, well, I Th- I think they will always be there. They will always be part of the market. I just think you're going to see ski- the the weight of the average ski on a wall is going to go down mm-hmm. a little bit. Maybe maybe not as far down as it could, but you're going to see the average weight of skis on walls go down because mm-hmm. that's what the customers are looking for. That doesn't mean that skis like the Supernatural 108 or the Belafonte or... Um, you know, the the Brahma or, I'm trying to think of other great heavy skis, the Stokely Storm riders, they're not going anywhere and there are people that want those skis and they will keep on wanting those skis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, you know, it, it's from, from a, it has less to do with product development than it does with sort of model line planning and, and product briefing. Yeah. Um, you know we are listening to people that say we want lighter weight skis yep. i'm sure every other company is hearing the exact yep. same thing and it's it's our job as product developers to say okay how much of that is based on ski performance and how much of that is based on sort of this i want a lighter weight ski i don't know if you call it an ethos but mm-hmm. um You know, how much of this do we... How much do we really want to make our skis lighter? Like, we want to sell skis to these people asking for lightweight. So how how light do we want to go? How how far are we willing to push the envelope until we're not comfortable with ski performance? And I think in... Not I think. In every case of skis that have come out of this building, um, where we have made skis a little bit lighter, everybody has signed off on the ski performance. And it's, you know, there have been skis where we say, okay, this is not as strong busting through heavy, chopped up crud or retros and moguls, but it does what we want to do. It does what we set out to do. And also it happens to be a hundred grams lighter. But when we talk about product briefs and and really figuring out what a product needs to be, I can't speak for other companies. I can only speak for, for us. We talk about performance first and foremost, and that, you know, the, the first things you see in a product brief are how does this ski need to perform mm-hmm. and who's going to be using it, how are they going to be using it, and, and those are the most important things. And the next point is, okay, what are some selling features that we can add and what do we want to focus on, or what are things we'd like to achieve if we get the performance, mm-hmm. you know, if we can take white li- light, sort of, if we can take weight out and make them lightweight, and get the performance, fantastic. But we're not taking weight out at the expense of performance. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think what performance means and how a ski performs, the, I mean, it's it's changing, absolutely. What what a person is looking for out of a ski is changing and I don't think it's changing because people want lightweight. I think it's changing because people want skis that are a little bit easier and more playful and lively. And and they're asking for lightweight, but companies aren't making skis that are lighter weight simply because we can say, hey, our ski's a hundred grams lighter than this ski and lighter is better. We're saying this ski is going to address what you want from a performance standpoint better. It's a little bit lighter. It's livelier. It's easier. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just went in circles. No, I think you did.
0: I don't think you did, but I guess I, I want to be that, you know, I, I just still come back for sort of very say mediocre resort conditions, whether you're skiing in Europe or New Zealand or Argentina or New Mexico or the East coast or wherever Mm -hmm. on those, I mean, Grant, most days are by definition mediocre snow conditions, right? Yeah. Maybe you're that person who's only doing eight days a year and you only go out when it's dumping snow or something. But it, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody listening to this is in this class, but I think for the people who are like, yeah, I'm so psyched about all this new light equipment. Mm-hmm. I almost want them to go demo some heavier stuff in those subpar conditions because if they don't have that reference point about how that stuff performs when the snow is no good it it, if if we're getting this push toward lighter and people are saying that they want some of
1: those characteristics and lights great it is easier to carry from the car or whatever and i mean yeah i i i do definitely say that with a healthy dose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean, I mean,
1: walk modes are another thing. I mean, yeah. we've We're definitely seeing them on alpine boots for walking to and from the bar or the yep. car, but yeah.
0: And and I mean, that's fine. I mean, if, you know, I, for for certain people that's fine, but I just want I guess people to be clear. I'm I I, th- I want to bang that drum about there
1: is no substitute for weight or mass. Yeah, I mean, there there are some things you can do with flex profiles and materials to add a little bit more dampness to a yeah. ski, but even, you know, if we built a super light ski with with a lot of damping layers, and it, so it was a very damp ride, um, when you're going through chopped up ch- conditions, the amount that a ski is going to get pushed around yeah. doesn't have much to do with how damp it is, it has to do with how light it is, mm-hmm. and when you hit something really, it, I mean... Think about it like you know, swinging a hammer around. If you hit something with a framing hammer, the framing hammer is not going to move. The thing you hit is going to move. If you get like a really light ball peen hammer or like a cobbler's hammer, it may may bounce back off. Yep. Um. And and that is a function of weight. Yep. And mass. So, Amen. Amen, Jed. Well,
0: you know, physics doesn't lie. You keep building those heavy skis, Jed. I'll just for you, Jonathan. <laughs> well. Yeah. Yeah, and. <clears throat> and everybody else well, who actually wants to really
1: enjoy mediocre know, conditions, yeah. But I, I don't think there are as many of those people as you think there are. Oh. And and this is this is I think where you and I are are not going to see eye to eye. I think most people that are skiing seven to eight days a year, they're not going out when it's it's only you know three feet of fresh powder. But if the skiing is mediocre, they're either not going to go skiing or they're going to stay to. To sort of prepared slopes yeah um not a lot of people are saying you know what the skiing's kind of shitty right now i want to go just i i want to go tear it up yeah. on refrozen chopped up snow yeah there just aren't that many people that do that there are people that do that yeah but there aren't that many hmm. i would see if this that's, was a, if this was a, a
0: call-in show yeah this is where we would ask people to call in And and and, and I just get totally lit up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that would be that would be wonderful. Or you know, again, like I do think. I mean, this is one of the things about a ski like the the Supernatural One Hundred and Eight that I think that is not. This is what we say, right? That is not the most demanding One Hundred and Eight ski under you know One Hundred and Eight wide ski in the category it's still fun and for a kind of quote unquote directional charger we would even say it's a bit playful I, I think that I just feel like I, I, I do worry that there are some people who might go have a really really good time on a ski like that yeah but everything they're hearing is about light
1: light light hmm. and so I, I don't know I I, uh, uh, I, I guess I, I mean I think what you're saying is, is that they'd have a good time on the ski and then not get it because it's not lightweight
0: no, I'm saying okay. they're never getting on that ski. Okay.
1: And, because and that they may go true, to, that they're because, never getting on that ski. Yeah, because they're would.
0: going to the wall in the shop. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I hear this um, yeah. from different people in shops or reps that people walk up to the wall and they're like, well, this one's super light. I'm going with that one. And that's where I think as a ski industry whether you're reviewing skis or whether you're building skis or selling skis, whatever, we just need to do a better job of telling... Of ma- people. Yeah, making sure people yeah. understand. Like, lightweight's cool for certain things. And, and for certain a, people. And for yeah. certain people. And it's a big compromise on other stuff. Yeah. And heavy skis are a big compromise in obvious ways. I don't tour on a massively heavy setup.
1: Yeah, and um, I, but I, I don't think the distinction between <laughs> skis that... Like, heavy working well or light working well, I don't think that line is touring versus not touring. I think there are lightweight skis that can work very well that are designed to be resort skis um, for certain customers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I don't think it's fair to say if you're taking lifts up you really need to be on a heavy ski or a heavy ski is going to be better for you. There are conditions in there. There People are conditions. Where that's true. Yeah. but. But I don't think I don't think the divide is on whether or not you're walking uphill.
0: No, no, yeah. no. I and I'm way happier talking about just conditions specific. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, back to the suspension. The ski's going to provide the suspension, or the snow is. Right. Um, and I,
1: or I mean, sometimes people one say thing that. I mean, one of the reasons that mass works is you get more suspension out of snow that is pretty firm because yep. it's heavier. The snow gives more, yep, where and the ski gives less, and that's where mass comes in.
0: Okay, talking about, uh, we've been talking about the Supernatural 108, and just for the record, <clears throat> this is the ski that is effectively, and by effectively, I mean actually, this is Jed Yeiser's pro model we, yeah. we would say you got to design the ski that you wanted to design that was sort of that that was i
1: mean so the way we we got into that project is um we were looking at refreshing the profit series um and i developed what was then the influence 115 the year before um and in the the sort of line crew i'm really i think the most i don't i, I am the most authentic voice for the sort of directional hard charging market, Jay Leventhal, who's awesome and, and I think a really authentic voice for the the freestyle community, and you know the work that Jay's done speaks for itself. I don't think I need to tell anybody you know who's listening to this who Jason Leventhal is and what he's done. Um, but on the line crew at that point, it was really like myself. Jay, Josh Malchek, who's now the brand director for, for Line, and who's also a little bit more freestyle-oriented. Um, and then Ryan McBride, who's our, our sales manager. Um, so, I mean, the for, for those other three guys, they're they're much more freestyle-focused. Um, and, and we were going to develop a hard-charging free-ride ski, and it was a market that... I think they they knew existed and that they understood to to a great extent, but they weren't that market in the same yep. way that, that I was, in, and in much the same way when we developed freestyle skis. I understand the freestyle market, but I am not that market, mm-hmm. so you know when Jay was around I'd listen to Jay and Josh and now it's more <coughs> Josh and our athletes, not that I didn't listen to athletes when, jo- when Jay was yeah. around, but um, I mean basically Jay just said, "Jed, make the ski you want." Yep. Um, and you know, I will never forget the first time that we tested that ski with the white prototype that you guys still have. Oh uh, yeah. And um, that's in my garage. You were in the garage, <laughs> and or it's in the garage. And um, yeah, we were testing it at, at Mount Hood, and Jason Leventhal just came ripping by me with a huge smile on his face, and in the way that only jay can um just sort of started screaming and as he passed and he said like ah it's your pro model Ah!" (laughs) and um you know i I think it says a lot about the ski that somebody that skis the way that jay does could like the ski as much as he did Mm. um but it was it was really the first project that i had where where i was sort of the judge and jury as far as what what was going to work and what wasn't and and i'm thrilled with how it came out yeah um, I mean I spent probably six to eight months agonizing over little little details on that before we even made a ski and um, sort of flipped my mind you know every other week as far as you know how much taper was it gonna have here or where was it gonna be stiff where was it gonna be soft and um yeah I'm glad it worked out
0: yeah and I again we can uh you can go read i think we now have three reviews of that ski up on blister and um yeah it's um you know don't just take our word for it um you can go read a whole bunch of words about it but it's still or just go ski it go ski it and that's that's a thing that actually leads to the next question um that is a ski i'd love to get more people to check out and just see what they think um you know because getting into this question about weight again, I've just put it up like that's a ski that I don't think is I think that ski has a personality. it's not merely the directional charger go murder the mountain, like you just said I mean that Leventhal was having fun on it, yeah um and so it it's got that you can ski it hard and you can back off and just play a bit and I think that's a very cool feature um and we're not. We haven't found many skis in that 108 class that that roll that way, and I think that's why we're such big fans of it. But but to that point, <clears throat> I think one of the interesting conversations that, as we've talked a bit about that ski and you know um, and how's it doing? Are you getting a good reception on it? Um, is that question, like you said? I mean, you were you were kind of the the representative directional st- skier guy and so in thinking about line as a company and as a brand, you know, that is more of a freestyle oriented brand, that's kind of where it's roots are, absolutely, yeah. Then, you know, some people have questioned like, well, is line ever going to be able to to sell a ski like that because our people who are looking for that 108 sort of directional charger ski going to come to a brand like line for that. And so that raises just the bigger question about, I guess sort of brand coherence or brand consistency. And I don't know, in some ways I get it, but I kind of hate that notion Yeah. as if like, cause I think it's boring as hell. The idea that like, Oh, it's line or, Oh, it's vocal they need to make the same damn ski, but like eight different flavors of it. Yeah. And I, in theory, like the idea that like, well, what kind of ski are we trying to build? Cool, you're trying to build like a super soft, buttery park ski, well, let's go crush that. And now over here, we're trying to build like a stiffer directional charger, okay, let's go crush that. Yeah. And who the hell cares how that park ski relates to the charger? yeah and I understand that there are you know consistency or coherence I think I get that those are things that any company or brand needs to pay attention to but I feel like that can get overdone pretty fast
1: for sure I think one of the reasons that that it's so important and that we pay attention to it is that you know customers be they people checking skis out at shops or the shops themselves they're historians, you know, mm-hmm. and they, when they see a line skier, a vocal skier, or a K2 ski, or a Lazard ski, the first thing they think is, is okay, well, what, what does this brand do well, what does this brand not do well? You know, what skis have I heard about that have done well from line? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did really well with our profit series, which yep. were directional skis. Yeah. And so we started to, to sort of get into that, that market, for sure. Which is not to say that the skis that we've been most historically successful with haven't been freestyle skis. And the roots of the brand are freestyle. Jay started the brand as a freestyle brand. Um, and then you look at people that are trying to buy a ski like the Supernatural 108, and line is not the first place they look. I would argue that, especially with that ski, we've got a ski that nobody else has. Yep, um, and and I think we've put sort of a line flavor on some skis that you know in that market but you know if we were to come out with you know an, another 108 freestyle ski I think it would be a lot easier for us to sell that ski than it, it has been with the Supernatural 108 which is not to say it's not selling at all um, but I think people see line and they, they don't they're not willing to to sort of let go of some of their preconceived notions of what the brand is. And I think that's one of the reasons that that brands, be it Line, be it K two, be it forefront or whoever, sort of tries to to really establish what their brand is and what they offer so that when a customer sees our logo on something, that they have an idea of how it's going to ski and what it's going to, to ski like and that's not to say that we try and break out of that mold sometimes mm-hmm. um, but I think, I think it's why those molds exist if that makes any sense mm-hmm. talking to reviewers from, from magazines um, people have skied that ski and it's not the ski they expect it to be because yeah. they expect it to ski more like a line freestyle ski and so it sort of puts them on the back foot to start out with you yeah. know I, I think um, I think if they just skied those skis with no preconceived notions of this is a line or this is a K2 or a blizzard it would be a lot easier for them to evaluate or for people to evaluate okay. where it's, it's not going into it saying okay this is a line so it's going to be playful and more freestyle oriented or this is a blizzard so it's going to be you know damp and smooth and stable it's, I mean, Blizzard makes some great playful skis. Vocal is another company that that I think is is known a little bit more for their directional skis, and they make some great freestyle skis. Um, their freestyle skis ski a little bit more like a directional ski than our freestyle skis yep. do, and that's Vocal trying to be vocal and us trying to be
0: yeah line. Um, I think there's, you know, I I'm happy to assume this is ultimately like a naive position mm-hmm. but i think there is this part for me that just very much likes the the idea of a company that uh, let's imagine a ski company where it was like again you know let's say we wanted to do some park skis some touring skis some pretty traditional uh, narrower race skis or carvers and then some you know, kind of one Oh five to one hundred and fifteen, more all mountain or big mountain kind of chargers. Yeah. The idea that a company rather than have this consistency from that park ski to the big mountain ski mm-hmm. was just like, screw it. What this is our version of, this is our ideal park ski and we built it this way this would be our version of a carver mm-hmm. and or our ideal carver this is our ideal version of a 108 and 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 so again you know i, I don't sell skis so yeah. um but i really find something appealing about a company that's able to uh, or willing to say you know our touring line is its own thing and it's designed intentionally for a set of performance characteristics that we are identifying and going to go nail yeah and maybe not have to and again here's maybe the naive part maybe not have to pay attention to well when a customer walks into a shop if customers if that's the way that people actually buy skis that they're walking in and it's like yo line sort of does this and i think of this when i think of blizzards I don't know i'd love to kind of blow that idea up and just let smart people design skis you know what are we trying to build okay yeah. we're trying to you know we're doing that here is our answer to that question and 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 judge us on the execution of that
1: yeah but I mean, maybe, and, and maybe and easier I said than every mind. every brand would probably agree with you in that you know n- well i i guess it's a pretty nuanced question in that in in to some extent Every ski company is trying to build the best ski they can for a, circuit, a certain market. Like we're not, we're not saying, okay, like we want to make this 108, and here's how we'd really like to make it, and here's how we should make it, because it's a line. Or for K2, this is, this is our best answer, but it doesn't quite feel like a K2, so let's change some things to make it more like a K2. Nobody's doing that. You know, I think one of the reasons that K2s ski like a K2 or a blizzard skis like a blizzard or a line skis like a line is because there's sort of a design history and you have the same people making design and and product decisions. And so you have a lot of the same people making calls on, is this ski what we want it to be or not, And, and also deciding what that ski needs to be. Um... So that's, that's one reason why I think certain brands ski certain ways and you can make some branding assumptions on how a ski is going to ski if it's a certain brand. <coughs> but I think the larger issue is, is that customers go into shops and they ski blizzard and they think one thing. They see line and they think one thing. And and that, that has nothing to do with the quality of the skis. It just happens to be perception.
0: I, I mean, I, I think maybe, I, I think maybe I don't agree with you that I don't know that I think that companies are intentionally going after building the best ski. Well, what's best, you know, how how do you define best? I define best as saying like this, which, what, what are we building? What are we going after? What genre of ski are we trying to do here? Uh, a park ski, a freestyle all mountain, um, a big mountain, a pow ski, what I'm seeing more and more of, it feels like, um, and I'm, again, there are exceptions and I, and frankly, I hope there are more exceptions. I see a lot of kind of homogenization of lines. Mm -hmm. I see companies feeling pressure that we've got to do things, whether it's, Graphically, whether whether it's just visual cues tying the entire line together, and and I get that from a marketing point of view, but I think that's a marketing point of view. I don't think that ultimately those are cues that are performance driven.
1: Ye Okay. So I I mean I'd agree with you to some extent, especially when it comes to graphics. I'm not um, talking graphics, but oh, okay. From a design standpoint, let's let's say you know every ski company in the world decided that they were going to develop a new 105 as a you know all mountain big mountain ski all right and we all spent two years developing that ski yeah and then we all got together and tested it Mm -hmm. i don't know that we would agree on what the best is because all of us as individual skiers are looking for different things and we enjoy different things. Mm-hmm. so the people making calls on what what is best at line don't necessarily agree with the people who are making calls for what is best at K2 yeah and, and they don't agree with the people <coughs> at vocal and, and certainly they they're, if I skied a you know a forefront ski or an on3p ski, I'd say, you know what this is a great ski it's not the ski I want. But this is, a, this is a great scheme, yeah. and I, I, I would assume that, that they would feel the same way about stuff we put out. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what we as the people making decisions feel like is best. And I guess the, the what is best, that's a really difficult question to answer. And it's, it's, it's an even more difficult from, from, from an engineering and from a design standpoint, you know, I can take all kinds of mechanical data on skis, and we do when we're testing, but those numbers don't translate into feel. They help me make decisions, and they help me say, okay, well, you know, this ski had this overall flex or this flex profile and this side cut radius, and it felt this way, and this ski felt this way, and it helps me make design decisions moving forward. But evaluating what, what is the best for everybody I mean you can't evaluate best when it comes to taste.
0: Right. And I and um, I I am totally fine with your version of that if yep. I thought that was the way the world was actually working. Okay. That yeah, that that we come out on different positions, right on, right, on some of this stuff. What I worry about is that we worry too much about brand consistency and we are willing to give up and I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying line. I'm not calling right, anyone. Any like yes. The, the the ski industry. The ski yeah. industry and the and the pressures or market pressures or marketing pressures. That it is more about we have to come with this super coherent line
1: mm-hmm.
0: which comes at the expense of wait, but in that line we've got, say, five to seven skis.
1: Yeah.
0: I want to keep emphasis on You tune that particular ski out however your company decides you want to. I'm fine with that. I worry, though, that it's more about consistency across the line. And so whether that comes to, like, we're going to have the same tip shape on all of these skis, or we're going to do the same thing materially with all of these skis. And I'm like, wait a minute. That consistency can come at the expense of the particularities, that generalized consistency can come at the expense of the performance characteristics of the particulars. So that's that's my worry. Yeah. And and I don't. I, and I'll grant you your thoughts. Like if you want to say I don't see it that way. I see it as different companies making different subjective or you know d- differences in taste yeah. about how each of those particular skis they want them to feel. Mm-hmm. That p- part I'm fine with. I just worry that it's actually not about the
1: particular ski I mean and, and I see where you're you're coming from and I don't think it's a, an invalid standpoint to have but I guess being on the the other side of the the fence on yep. this one you know I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say that coherence within a line is not something that we don't think about it, it is but when you're talking about a line if you're talking about the sick day line or the um you know the vocal rtm line or the k2 iconic line or the pinnacle line a lot of what we're trying to achieve with that line is a similar feel we're trying to have different waist widths different performance points with a, a given feel with a given performance characteristic and a lot of the reasons that you get a certain performance characteristic. is from a tip shape that that is shaped a certain way mm-hmm. or a certain construction, and we do change constructions from size to size where where we need to, and we do tweak tip shapes and taper and rocker, and so it's not that we say, okay, you know what, the the pinnacle line has this tip shape, has this rocker profile, has this construction, and like screw everything else this is how we're designing skis we do say okay this is what we need the pinnacle 95 to be this is what we won't need the pinnacle 105 to be this is what the pinnacle 118 is how can we we'd we'd like the skis to look a little bit similar we'd like them to share some some aspects like sidewall configurations and stuff we'd like them to family but the 105 is a very different ski. It has a different rocker profile, a different tip shape, a different amount of taper than the, the 118 does. And, and yes, we want them to family. We want somebody to look at the 118 and say, hey, that looks a lot like the one 105 or the 95. Or I see, I, I see what they're trying to do. I see similarities. But we're not saying we're going to choose this tip shape damn it all. Mm-hmm. It's going to be this tip shape because it needs to be the same tip shape as this mm-hmm. um, which I guess is is maybe trying to meet you halfway and that you know we we do try and be coherent as as, as best we can within a line um, and to some extent, even within within a brand i mean i I spent a long time with with Jay um going back and forth. On, on little things like tip and tail shapes. We spent some time today looking at some proto-tip and tail shapes where I was talking about mm-hmm. some changes that I wanted to have. And those are the discussions that I would have with Jay on and on and on where I'd, I'd come out with something crazy, frankly, a lot like what you saw today. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jay would say, no, that's not a line. Hmm. You know, I want people to look at that tip shape and be able to say that's a line. Hmm. And I think some of that was Jay wanting people to identify to, to just know that a ski was a line ski. And some of that was Jay wanting that ski to ski the way the tip shapes that we've had historically ski. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'd have to get him on the phone or, or bring him in to yeah. talk about which one it was. And I think he'd admit it's, it's probably a little bit wolf. Yep. Um, but within, within a series of skis, we do try and be coherent. Moving on. Yeah.
0: We're going to break here and sign off for now, and we'll pick up the second half of our conversation with Jed Yeiser next week. In part two, we talk more about Jed's work with Eric Pollard, Jason Leventhal, and Tom Wallish, and get into bikes, books, and movies. Special thanks go to our audio engineer, Justin Bob, and to Alaska Airlines for sponsoring this episode be sure to go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out all of their current deals. Till next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to, and we'll catch you next Thursday on the Blister Podcast.
1: This interview, or whatever you want to call it, have sort of Man this gotten is a this. podcast. This is a podcast. Okay. <clears throat> um, before the podcast. Yeah.